The Lord is good, is He not? He's good. Uh, as we uh, prepare for God's Word this morning, we have uh, a good bit of work to do, and so I pray that we're ready. So if you need to kind of stretch a little bit, we're going to be uh, picking up a lot of Scripture this morning. And so to prepare us, uh, we're going to do a couple things. One, if you would, uh, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, that's where we'll be picking up from uh, last week, verses 21 through 31. Uh, also, if you would, open your Bibles to Genesis 12, Genesis 12, because uh, we'll be kind of in Genesis a good bit, but also in Galatians 4. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the seat in front of you. Uh, you could take that blue Bible and uh, open up to page 1077. 1077, that'll get you to Galatians chapter 4. And then also page 9. Page 9, that'll bring you to Genesis uh, chapter 12. Uh, as a way of illustration, kind of opening up uh, this morning's message, uh, on Wednesday night, uh, because of the scheduling of what's happening in our family, uh, oftentimes we have to drive separate cars to church, and therefore we drive separate cars home from church. And after our life groups, uh, we get in the car, and I had uh, my son and my second oldest daughter with me, and we're kind of talking, and uh, out of nowhere I said, you know, I said, honey, you should really uh, prayerfully consider joining the choir. You have an amazing voice. And almost immediately, our son yells out, oh, that ain't happening. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, and he said, she, she's too nervous. She wouldn't get in front of a crowd. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, Daddy gets nervous just about every Sunday when I, when I share God's Word. But the Lord gives me the strength and the power uh, to do it. And, uh, and I said, in fact, you should, you should read the, the Scripture for this Sunday, talking about what we're going to read in just a moment. I said, uh, you should read it. And uh, so she had her Bible with her, and I said, well, how about read it out loud? So we cut the radio off, and while we're driving home, she reads uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. And I said, so what do you think? And she goes, I don't know. And, uh, and I said, well, what do you gather from it? And she goes, rejoice if you don't have a baby. And I'm like, no, that's not quite what it is. But I say this. It is uh, somewhat of a challenging passage, and so we're going to go before the Lord and ask the Lord to uh, give us discernment and insight in what he wants us to know and to respond to. And uh, so we'll, we'll pray real quick, we'll read through the passage, and then we'll be, begin to break it down. But we, we, there's a lot, so I'm going to do my best. So uh, let us pray. Lord, we just ask that you allow us to hear your truth the way that you uh, designed it to be heard, to be responded to, and to be received. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the goodness of your mercy and grace. We thank you that not only are you an all-loving God, but you are a just God, uh, Lord, and we have absolutely no hope, no hope apart from you. So, Lord, remind us of the beauty of not only knowing the gospel and trusting in the gospel, but, Lord, being known by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we go. Verse uh, 21, Galatians 4. We're going to read it through, and then we'll unpack it. Uh, Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this, is, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing uh, children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is uh, Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. What do you guys think? 
We needed to pray, didn't we? Um, no, so we're going to unpack this and just ask the Lord uh, to honor our time in his word. Uh, and really, we're going to break this into three kind of segments, if you will. We're going to look at the historical background and the spiritual implications and then uh, the application of it. And we have to be reminded that the Apostle Paul is uh, really, it, it's his final attempt uh, to tell the, the Christians in Galatia to turn back, right? That's his plea. That's his beg. That, that, that's his heartfelt cry. Stop going the way that you're going. And remember, it was the, the, the Christians in Galatia who had received the purity of the gospel, the centrality of Christ and Christ alone, and how Christ alone uh, makes you right with God, and, and it's Christ alone that uh, allows you to remain right with God, and yet false teaching comes in and begins to distort that and, and tries to pull them away that it's not just Jesus Christ, it's not just the centrality of the gospel, but it's Jesus plus your works, what you do. And so this really is that last uh, attempt, a plea to return, because when we get to uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Lord willing, next week, we're going to see that the, it begins to transition, that, that, that now you're a son, this is how you live, right? So this is very, very important. And so we look at verse 21, and he asks this question, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul is essentially saying, do you really understand what you're getting ready to go back to? Is this really what you want to do? Do you really want to live your life day in and day out with the heavy burden of have I done enough? Or do you, do, do you want to live in the freedom knowing with great assurance that Christ and Christ alone is sufficient? That, that is what he's saying. Are you, are you really wanting to go back? And again, the, it's not a complete denial of Jesus Christ, right? That's not what the false teachers were teaching. It's a hybrid Christianity or a hybrid religion. Yes, you need Jesus, but man, you need, you need your works. You need to bring your A-game, right? And all of us sitting here this morning, all of us joining with us online, have those moments in life where you think, am I really good enough? Am I really worthy to receive the love of Christ? On one hand, absolutely not, right? But uh, according to the gospel, yes. Why? Not because of us, but because of him. And so Paul is reminding them to don't buy into this hybrid type of relationship with the Lord. Because if you buy into a hybrid relationship or hybrid religion, if you will, that it's Jesus plus something else, your relationship, your fellowship with the Lord is not going to be what God desires it to be. And so what does he do? He appeals based on scripture. Again, the Apostle Paul didn't have the New Testament like you and I have today. So he uses a lot of Old Testament uh, history. And so that's where we're going to go. Uh, and we're going to see that in verses 22 and 23. The scripture says, for it is written. So that reminds us that he's appealing based on what? God's word. And that's important. Not how I feel. Not what somebody else is teaching me. But what does God's word say? He says uh, that Abraham had two sons. So Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. This is what the scripture is talking about. He had more than that. But this specifically is talking about Isaac and Ishmael. One by a slave woman. That's Hagar. She's the, she was the Egyptian slave. And one by a free woman. That's Sarah. That's Abraham's uh, wife. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. So it's talking about uh, something that naturally happens, if you will. Uh, while the son of the free woman, talking about Isaac, was born through what? Promise. So Isaac was born supernaturally. So let's talk about the historical background for just a moment. So we're going to go through 25 years of history as quickly as we can, but I hope it helps develop uh, good theology in our mind. Uh, that way we'll understand God's grace for us. So we begin in Genesis 12. So page 9 in the Blue Bible, uh, and if you have your own, Genesis 12, uh, where this initial call to Abraham comes from the Lord. Verses 1 through 4. And we've seen some of these passages already, but we're going to try to connect them all together. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, so that would be Abraham, 
Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And here's what we need to understand. Everything, take a mental note of everything that God's going to do, right? The promise that he makes, and then put in your mind everything that man does or woman does, right? So this is important. So what does he say in verse 2? And I, speaking of the Lord, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Haran means fruitless, right? And that's basically where his life was. And we have to be reminded that Abram, Abraham was the first Jew, right? This isn't, this isn't who he's always been, right? He was a Gentile. In fact, his family, were, uh, they worshiped pagan gods, mainly the moon god. And so God, in his grace, initiates what? This relationship with Abraham and says, hey, follow me. I'm not going to tell you exactly where we're going, how long we're going to be there, but I need you to trust me. And how does Abraham respond? Abraham responds in faith, right? And everything hinges on, really, the blessing of a son, right? But we know that Abraham's 75 years old. And if you look at Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, we hear something about Sarah. Sarah's 65, and she is barren. She's never had any children, right? So this is, this is pretty important here. And then we get to uh, the scripture. We continue on in Genesis 16. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Genesis 15. So about 10 years passed, so when this initial promise was given. Genesis 15, verses uh, 1 through 6, uh, the scripture says, For not Abraham, I am, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. So God is saying, I'm your protector. Your reward shall be very great. And this is incredible because Abraham's struggling at this point. This promise was given 10 years earlier that I'm going to have a son. Guess what Abraham doesn't have? He doesn't have a son. So you can imagine that there's a little struggle. There's a little doubt. Verse 2, But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and... A member of my household will be my heir. And so, customarily, what would happen if you did not have an heir? You had two options. Really, you would, uh, someone in your household would become the heir, or you would go outside the covenant of marriage, and you would have a, another wife, if you will, and that person would bear you a child, which is against what God would desire us to do. And so, the scripture tells us uh, that God meets him where he's at. That's how gracious God is, right? So he meets that fear with this, verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, Shall your offspring be? And he believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham still what? He's, though he's struggling, he's still believing in the promises of God, right? Another year goes by. Guess what? Abraham doesn't have a child. So the dilemma is, are we going to fully trust in the promises of God? Or are we going to trust in the promises of God, but he also needs a little bit of my help, right? Anybody have that struggle? Uh, here's the dilemma. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. So flip over a couple, uh, one chapter to Genesis 16. So we can relate to this, right? God, you need a little bit of help here. I'm, I'm your man, right? I'm your woman. I can do it. Uh, now what, is, what happens when that happens? Uh, now Sarai, Abram's, Abraham, uh, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. So now it's connecting us back to Galatians chapter 4. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into this, to my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And so Sarah's desperate, right? You, she believes what God says, that there's going to be a promised child. But now the doubt is, well, maybe it's not through me. Maybe it's through another woman. So it's not a complete, again, not a complete denial of the promises of God. But again, you need a little help from me. And uh, what happens? Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. That's not a good idea, right? Verse 3. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. 
And he went into her into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. I mean, Abram's probably confused, right? You told me to do this. This is what I did. And the reason why she's angry, upset, hurt, contempt is because Hagar does what she cannot do, right? She bears a son. And every time she sees this little boy, she's reminded that it did not come from me, right? So you can imagine the hurt there. Verse 15 and 16 of Genesis 16. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So now, 14 years are going to go by. 14 years of Sarah being reminded that this teenage boy is not yours. It's Hagar, your servant. So again, just all of that hurt. But what's interesting is the name Ishmael, God is so gracious. The name Ishmael means God hears. God hears. Now, two questions fly up in my mind. Does God really hear the anguish of Sarah? Which is really a secondary question. The primary question is, will God fulfill his promise, right? That's really, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here. Genesis 17, we continue the story, verses 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, so again, this timeline is kicking. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. So God is going to have a covenant with Abraham, and who's doing the work? God is doing the work. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a promise with you. Jump down to verse 6. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Again, what is God doing? I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan for everlasting possession. And I will be what? Their God. So God is doing all these things. He's promising all these things. Verse 15 through 19. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai. But Sarah shall be her name. The word Sarah means princess, and that's exactly uh, what she is. Verse 16, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. God, you crazy, right? That's kind of what we say there. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, can't Ishmael be the promised son? I mean, doesn't that make the most sense, right? God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. The, the name Isaac means the one who rejoices, the one who rejoices. So this is prophetic, what's getting ready to happen. We get to Genesis 18. Uh, 10 through 14, the scripture says, And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. So they're 99 and 89, so advanced in years. Uh, the way of a woman had ceased to be with Sarah, so she can't have any babies. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Verse 14, underline this. Is anything too hard 
for the Lord. At, that, at the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Did God keep his promise? Will God do the impossible? Genesis 21, verses 1 through 3. The Lord visited Sarah. I love that word, visited. He visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore and Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, the one who rejoices. Verses 6 and 7. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Why, why the story? Why this story? Why the historical background? Again, Paul's pleading for the Christians in Galatia to return back to the centrality of the gospel. Why? Because the Jews saw Abraham as this, their spiritual father, right? And in their thinking, in their mind, that, that if you came from the lineage of Abraham, if you were a Jew, then you're in good standing with God automatically. However, if you're a Gentile who has come to faith, if you will, that it's not just Jesus, but remember, you have to be like us, right? You have to become a Jew in how you live your life. And so that's what the false teaching was teaching them. That Again, you have to bring your A-game every day in order to be right with God. And Paul says, that is not so. Your relationship with God has nothing to do with your family tree. It has everything to do with his faithfulness to you and your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's where we get to the spiritual implications of the story. We see this in verses 24 through 27. In verse uh, 24 of Galatians chapter 4. So now we're going to be in Galatians uh, chapter 4 for the majority of the time. Paul says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. All right, it's important to understand what Paul means by allegorically because we have a different definition of, of that today. What Paul is saying is that I'm, I'm going to take a true historic story the background that we just covered, right? 25 years in a few minutes. I'm going to take a historic story, a true story, and I'm going to take the truths of those story, that story, and I'm going to bring about spiritual implications for you today. So this is important. Paul says, these women, who are the women again? Sarah and Hagar. They're two covenants. So this is the implication. How are they two covenants? Well, here's how they're two covenants. Sarah represents the unconditional promise that was given to Abraham, right? The Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, and what he reiterated over and over again. Hagar represents the conditional covenant. What's the conditional covenant? The conditional covenant is the covenant that, that God gave to Moses out Mount Sinai, right? Remember when the law was given, the Ten Commands were given, right? So how can you determine the difference between uh, the covenant that's given to Abraham and the, the covenant that's given to Moses? In other words, how do you determine the difference between uh, the covenant of unconditional promise and the covenant of conditional blessing, right? Very easy. The I will, I will, I will, that's all throughout the Genesis narrative that we just read, is what God is doing, is what God is going to do. That's the unconditional promise. When we get to uh, the, the Mosaic Covenant, when the, the law was given, the condition of blessing was based on what? Obedience. So the words there are what? You shall, you shall, you shall. Makes sense, right? So there's two different covenants. And what Moses, or what Paul is trying to tell them is it's the Abrahamic covenant that's the covenant of promise. Why? Because God is going to do what man cannot do. And so he talks about these two women, these two covenants. And remember the struggle. Verse 21 of chapter 4, what did it say? Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. Do you, do you not listen to the law? Is this really where you want to go back to? Do you really want to move from what God will do to what you think you are going to try to do? Right? 
In other words, are you, you really think you're going to help God out here? That you're going to be the one that ushers in everything? So he explains it. He says, one is from, so he's going to talk about the uh, covenant given to Moses, which the illustration is Hagar. He says, one is from Mount Sinai. That's where the law was given, right? Bearing children for slavery. Why were they slaves? Because they couldn't do it, right? They couldn't do it. No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't fulfill the law of God. He says, she is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. What is, what is happening here? Uh, when the law was given in Mount Sinai, Arabia was the land that was given to Ishmaelites' descendants, Ishmaelites, uh, the people of Ishmael. And so they're on the outside of the promised land. They're on the outside looking in, if you will. And no matter how hard they try, guess what? They're not getting in. And so Paul says, that's the present-day Jerusalem. He's talking about the, 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 uh, the religious crowd of his day. That they're going to try all that they can. They're going to do all that they can. They're going to try to adhere to uh, the, the Mosaic law, obeying the law. They're going to do it as best as they can. But guess what? It's not good enough. And so, he, again, he's relating this to present day, his day. That you have false teachers coming in and saying, yes, you need Jesus, but you need this too. Right? And so that's how he's attacking it here. In other words, when you buy into your self-reliance about what you bring to the table... It's not bringing freedom, it's bringing slavery. Why? Because we're condemned, we're guilty. Why? Because we cannot do what God has called us to do in our own strength. Remember what Paul said in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Listen, performance-driven religion crushes the heartbeat of the church. Paul equates the religious crowd of his day with Hagar, the Gentile. Can you imagine the uproar, right? But Paul is making a point that there is nothing you can do. He says you can be connected to Jerusalem all you want. And Jerusalem has a great history, right? But not a fully great history. In other words, you can be connected to church all you want. You can be connected to serving, giving, tithing. Praying, Bible study, you can be connected to a great Christian family, but guess what? All of those in and of themselves do absolutely nothing for you in your personal relationship with the Lord. You have to make a decision, right? Are you going to believe in Jesus Christ plus nothing else, or are you going to buy into a hybrid Christianity that says, Jesus plus my works? That's what Paul is getting at here. Paul says there's another way. It's the way of promise, verse 26 and 27. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. In other words, the, the people that are born again by God's amazing grace, right? The, those are the ones who are free, right? Because God has set them free. And, and Sarah is that example. The child that Sarah brought into this world is that example. Is, uh, Isaac. Isaac is the one that God does the impossible, right? When she was barren for, for years, God did the impossible. The same thing with our new birth in Christ. He does the impossible. And what Paul does in verse 27 is he quotes from Isaiah 54, verse 1. He says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. What is going on here? Again, God is communicating, or Paul is communicating, God is going to do the impossible. If you go back to Isaiah 54, uh, what happens is God's people are in captivity to the Babylonians, right? And God says, I promise, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to take you from a land of barrenness, and I'm going to bring you to a place of fruitfulness. And I will be your husband, right? It reminds us that we as the church, the New Testament church is what? We are the bride of Christ, right? And that's why we rejoice, because God has done what we cannot do. Jesus has fulfilled not only the requirements of the promise, but also the requirements of the blessing. 
Paul says in Romans 8, 3-4, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sin, full flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, God does the impossible. We receive it how? Through faith. And what does God do in return? He gives us his Holy Spirit, right? He reminds us that we are sons of God. So the spiritual implication is there's two ways, right? The way of grace or the way of works. You have to decide. Which way do you choose to be on? It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done through his spirit. We'll skip down a few verses. Uh, we'll go down to, the, to uh, verses 28 through 31, just for time's sake. So we have that historical background, the spiritual implications. But what about the application for us today? How do we tie all this in uh, for us today? The first thing that we see is that you are a son of God by promise. We've covered this before, but I think we need to be reminded every day that God gives us breath in this life, that we are reminded that we are his son because of his promise, not because of us, not because of my family tree, not because of my obedience to his law, but because of his promise to me. Why? Because all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 28 of Galatians 4, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So like Isaac, we're children of promise. You are a byproduct, or you are a product of God's amazing grace, not of your works, right? Paul said in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So how is it that we are sons of Abraham? How is it that we're sons of God? Through faith. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So the gospel isn't new. It didn't just show up in the New Testament, right? The gospel has been from day one. And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Because of the gracious work of Christ in your life and in my life, by grace through faith, we are adopted sons. Paul said in Galatians 3, 25-26, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, no longer under the weight of the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to what? To works? No, to promise. So everything is hinging on this promise. And here's what we need to realize. Every single person needs spiritual rescue, right? Every single one of us. Every person that you come into uh, encounter with, every single day, when you look at them in their eyes, you automatically say, this person needs spiritual rescue. I don't know if they have it yet, but I know they need it, right? That's the same truth for us, that every single one of us needs spiritual rescue, and it only comes through who? The promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I love in John 3. John 3 is an amazing passage of Scripture where we are introduced to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is uh, part of the religious group. He's really top-notch guy. He's the one that we would look up to, right? But I love how uh, the Gospel of John writes this particular story in John 3. We'll look at the first five verses real quick so you can get the weight of it. The scripture says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees, that's the religious crowd, the, the leaders in the religious crowd, named Nicodemus, uh, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So, a couple things. Nicodemus was actually his Greek name, right? Not his Jewish name. So it tells us that he's highly respected, even in uh, their Greek culture. He's highly educated. Uh, but I love the fact that John always says the word man. Over and over again. Why? Because he's reminding us that all humanity is in the same boat. It doesn't matter if you're part of the religious group or not. You need Jesus Christ. And I love how Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot know God unless you have been born again. And what's the question that Nicodemus raises? That's impossible, right? What does he say? He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It harkens back to Genesis. Is anything too hard for the Lord? New birth is impossible without God. We need God to do the impossible. And that's what Jesus says in verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that's the whole point. The law only diagnoses our problem. It cannot change the heart, right? But the gospel changes the heart. God does the impossible. He cleanses us of our sin. He indwells us with his spirit. We become new in Christ. And the question is, are you a son of God by promise today? That's the only way. It's the only way. Second implication that we see from application point is your sonship will be attacked. Your sonship will be attacked. Listen, as a son of God, a true son of God, and we say son, it also includes daughters as well, but sons are the ones that got uh, all the, the rights of the inheritance. So he's saying uh, that we are truly blessed because we are adopted to his family. But we're going to be under attack. And Paul's going to use uh, the story that happened in Genesis 21 where uh, Ishmael is, uh, is against Isaac. And he's going to relate that to uh, the attacks that we face as uh, his sons. Galatians 4, 29 through 30 says, But just at, at, as at, at the time he, speaking of Ishmael, who was born according to the flesh, persecuted him, speaking of Isaac, who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So he's saying that you're being attacked now, Right? But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. What's happening here? Well, in Genesis 21, keep in mind that uh, Ishmael is a good bit older than Isaac, and and, uh, Ishmael is mocking Isaac, right? He's making fun of him. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but we know that since Genesis 21, who's been at odds? The descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael. You look at Middle East and all that happens in the Middle East today, guess what? It stems back to that. So there's great hostility between the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael. But Paul says, so also it is now. So he's going to connect that hostility of what was going on in Genesis 21, now carry it through present day. He's going to relate that to the hostility that the Christians in Galatia were facing. And who were the ones that were hostile against them? The Judaizers, right? The religious group. So he's equating those two things together. It's the religious crowd that is causing such hostility to you. Those who promote legalism. Those who promote that it's your works that make you right with God. Jesus plus anything else. And and Paul says you need to confront it. Any influence that is happening in your life and the life of the church needs to be addressed. It needs to be confronted. It needs to be what? Cast out. That's the language that he gives. Now how does Paul address the dangers that we face based on uh, false teaching? Well he says in Philippians 3 verse 2. He says look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the religious crowd. Those who are promoting works of the law, right? And he uses the language dogs. Now, we have to understand that dogs aren't what we interpret today, right? We're thinking about Fido laying on the couch, right? That is not what Paul is addressing here. Paul is saying these, these, these people are dangerous. They're scavengers. They're heartless. They're ruthless. They're nothing but danger. And yes, they're going to promote good works. They're going to, on the outside, they're going to look really, really good, right? But they're dangerous. Jesus himself said how dangerous the religious group were. He said in Matthew 23, verses 22 through 4, this is Jesus speaking, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So again, going back to the law. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. 
They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. So in other words, there's a group of people that stand and say, do this, do this, do this, do this, right? That weight. And guess what? The weight is on you. Why? Because the scripture says they preach, but they don't practice, right? What does Jesus say about that? Verse 13. He says, but woe to you. This is the seventh woe, by the way. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Do you see how dangerous this is? That not only is this particular religious crowd, these false teachers, not entering into the kingdom of God, but they're stopping those around them from entering into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're teaching a false gospel. So Paul's concern for the Galatian church Paul's concern for us today is root out all places of legalism. How do we root it out? We root it out with the gospel. Remember the question that Paul asked in chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Again, he's talking to the Christians in Galatia. Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Root it out. In your heart and our mind, if there's anything that says Jesus plus something else is wrong, and if, if you buy into that, you will not enjoy the blessing of being a true son of God through promise. And that leads us to the final application. Rejoice in your new freedom. That's what God wants. God wants his children to rejoice, right? Paul says in verse 31, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. I mean, think about it. Who else can take the bareness of a person and turn it into fruitfulness? Who else can take death and turn it into life? Who else can take desolation and bring tremendous hope? Only Jesus can. So rejoice in your new freedom in Christ. Why is this important? Because beginning next week, Lord willing, when Pastor Jason unpacks Galatians chapter 5, we're going to talk about what it means and what it looks like to walk in the very freedom that we have in Christ. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This doesn't mean that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, don't obey what God has commanded, right? But we're not relying on our obedience to make us right with God. Right? We obey what God says. Why? Because we love Him. Right? We know that He loves us. And what motivates our obedience towards Him is the very fact that we love Him back. I hope you see the freedom in that truth. I obey not to be right. I'm already right, therefore I obey. Right? There's a difference there. The lie of self-reliance leads to slavery and death. The truth of, the, of grace leads us to freedom and life. Jesus says this in John 8, and we'll close it here. John 8, 34 through 35. Jesus answered them. So he's talking to the religious crowd. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you trust today that you are a son based on God's promise? Do you know that your sonship will always be attacked? It'll come from the people that you're around, it'll also come from yourself, right? But know that we can rejoice because we have new freedom. In but if, if God's word says, for it is written, for it is written, for it is written, that is a cue that we need to know what God has said, right? Again, this is Paul's last appeal, Paul's last plea, Paul's last heartfelt plea for the Christians to return to the centrality of the gospel, and that's why we went through the scripture, because that's my plea for you today. Listen, you will not know the depths of the experience of walking free in Christ until you are reminded that you are a child based on promise, not by performance. That yes, it will be attacked, 
Listen, there is attacks every single day. But the more you recognize who you are in Christ, the more you are aware of those attacks, the more that you address those attacks with the truth of who you already are in Christ. And for that, you will rejoice. The very fact that God has done the impossible in your life and through your life, for we rejoice. Are you rejoicing today? As we stand and sing, the altar will be open for you to pray.